Are you looking to expand your team? Well, look no further than Indeed. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering SPQ listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job posts, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com SPQ. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com SPQ. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th, 2020. This podcast is a part of the Maisie Media Network, a community of podcasts for women by women. Hey, girl, hey, and thanks for dropping into the Switch, Pivot, Quit podcast. Candid convo for the girl needing a lifestyle plot twist when she's deciding if it's time to switch, pivot, or quit. I'm Ayana Angel, and I am your host as well as chief encourager and author. In order for you to hang out with us in this awesome space, all that's required for you to do is sit back, open your mind, and enjoy the show. On today's show, we're chatting with Kate White, a former editor-in-chief of Cosmo magazine, and she's also a nationally known authority on leadership, work, and success, as well as a New York Times bestselling author of several influential books for women on those topics. She's passionate about sharing what she's learned with other women, and her strategies are based on her long career as a media executive. She was the editor-in-chief for five prestigious U.S. magazines, including Cosmo, Red Book, and Working Woman. At Cosmo, she increased circulation by 30% during her tenure and oversaw all aspects of this top worldwide brand. Kate's books on career and success include the number one Amazon bestseller, The Gutsy Girl Handbook, a totally revised edition of her groundbreaking Wall Street Journal bestseller, Why good girls don't get ahead, but gutsy girls do. She's an in-demand speaker for conferences, companies, and universities. Kate has appeared on numerous national television shows, including The Today Show, CBS This Morning, and CNN. And we are excited to hear from this queen of media to understand a little bit more about how we can be a little bit more bold and gutsy so that we can get ahead and get the things that we want in business. Let's get into it. Welcome to the show, Kate. Very excited to speak with you today. Well, I'm thrilled to be here. Yes. Okay. So to get us started, can you share a little bit about your background before becoming a full-time author? My entire background was spent in the magazine business, except for working in political campaigns at night on the side, a fun, a fun hobby. I started at Glamour Magazine in my 20s after winning the top 10 college woman contest that Glamour had at the time. And I moved up in magazines. I started as an assistant who used to have to do the dishes in the kitchen and really crappy stuff like that. And then eventually I became a feature writer for Glamour. And then I moved up to other magazines as an editor. I loved writing so much as so many people do when they're young because you get your byline, but you don't move up in magazines 
as a writer. Ultimately, you've got to edit. So I moved up. Editing became number two at a magazine and then eventually went on to edit a number of national magazines. And for 14 years, I was the editor-in-chief of Cosmopolitan, which was at the time, unfortunately, the magazine business is in real big trouble right now. But at the time, it was um, hugely successful and I loved it. But I could see the handwriting on the wall mm. and I, I, I had uh, no misgivings about walking away. I was at an age where I had uh, socked some money away. So I, I left uh, about six years ago mm-hmm. to work full-time writing career books, but also psychological suspense and mysteries. I've, I've just started my 14th right now. So it's wow. a, I guess you could say I went to bed the editor of Cosmo and woke, woke up writing about corpses and and, <laughs> and that's exactly what I did. I love that. So thinking about the industry right now, what would what would you say to people that are still ambitious about getting into the magazine business and sort of that side of things with understanding and keeping in mind how digital is working now? What would you say to someone who's who's thinking about embarking on that journey? I think if you've seen The Devil Wears Prada and mm-hmm. you love that movie and mm-hmm. think, boy, I want some of what she's having, <laughs> forget about it. Because when I was the editor of Cosmo, there were fabulous perks, the clothing allowance, car service, cars, all those things. And that was true for the editors of major magazines like Glamour and Vanity Fair. Those days are over. Mm. And uh, the today, in fact, the, the wonderful editor of Cosmo, who had worked for me, was let go. And the person who's taking her place has basically is very, very junior, has no um, experience at editing a magazine. It's a signal that we can't afford to pay the big bucks and the big perks anymore. Right. Try to keep these magazines alive with digital people who will also oversee the digital side as well. And there, there won't there won't be as much fun. There won't be a lot of perks. There'll be a lot of committees mm. deciding what goes on. So if that seems like something that you would like to do because you love the idea of content and content creation and collaboration, it might work for you. Mm-hmm. But I were advising anyone today who loves content the way I do, I wouldn't go to one of these magazines where it's all in turmoil. I'd go to some place that was uniquely a digital site okay. because they, they've already figured it out. Right. They're trying to figure it out in magazines. And so far, it doesn't seem to me like they're doing a very good job with it. Mm-hmm. Still, ha- they still have a ways to go in terms of navigating the space and the terrain, and, and it's, it's still a, a largely uncharted waters for a lot of people with respect to the directions that you can go in and the things that can right. be done. Yeah, you know, the danger is if you have somebody from digital, which is a fabulous world to be in, but you're mm-hmm. putting them in charge of a print magazine they're not skilled. It's like saying to someone, hey, you've been doing gynecology, but we need somebody to operate um, on the the intestinal track right now. Right. And for instance, the person who took over Glamour, it was only a, a really a digital person. And Glamour right now, uh, an incredible magazine, is selling fewer than 20,000 copies on newsstands around the United States. Mm. I just don't think you can ask people without that skill set to 
to do print as well. And print will ultimately be phased out probably for a lot for a lot of magazines other than magazines, uh, for instance, like like luxury magazines like Vogue or or El Decor, where right. you want the pictures. But most other magazines just aren't read by women in their twenties and thirties to the degree they used to be. So it's almost better to say, I'm not even going to go in that world. Maybe when the dust settles, mm-hmm. but right now there's lots of opportunity on the digital front. That's exciting, but I, I wouldn't go into the chaos and excuse expression shitstorm. <laughs> <laughs> right. So it seems like you got out um, ahead of things. And, and like you said, you, you sort of, saw what was happening. So that that's amazing for all of us who have now um, been able to sort of benefit from your transition with this amazing book, The Gutsy Girl Handbook. So if you had to give an elevator pitch for The Gutsy Girl Handbook, what, what would it be? It's a short, breezy, lots of stuff packed into one little volume guide to being gutsier at work and seeing just all the benefits that provides. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is it fair to say that this book is sort of a revival of why good girls don't get ahead, but gutsy girls do, which was a, a prior publication that you released? A, a little bit, Ayana. Uh, uh, I think that I had, when I'd written that book twenty four years ago, practically, Why Good Girls mm-hmm. Don't Ahead. The last line was, this book will be obsolete by the time my daughter's in her 20s. And <laughs> it isn't because, look, we have just been through a couple of weeks of seeing just how differently women are treated than men. The right. Movement has pointed out just some of the 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 crap we have to deal with as females still. Mm-hmm. And the publisher and I thought it might be a great idea to bring the book out again and refresh people's minds to some of the strategies in it for, for baby boomers who had read it and still were fans of it and might like to look at an updated version, but also for young women. And so it, it ended up being totally rewritten. I didn't, I found only a couple paragraphs from the original one where the research was still fresh. So wow. it's rewritten, but I wanted to do it in a, a short, compact, form with also a little bit of a uh, workbook feel to it too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You executed perfectly. I loved the um, illustrations that you use because it really, it really drove home some of the points and it helped you to sort of visualize what, um, what you were talking about and to see how you can make this work for yourself or, okay, maybe I should fill this out right now, you know? So it definitely gave you the feeling of taking action and getting started. And so I love that. And I love that it was very to the point. There wasn't a bunch of fluff. You didn't have to read, you know, six paragraphs deep to get to the gist of what you were saying and and some of the key points that you were trying to pull out. So I absolutely love that. That's great because, hey, that's great content if we could make it short and concise. And Mm -hmm. actually, that's one of the points I make about uh, women in general when we communicate the more concise we can be and yeah. i also wanted something somebody could tuck into their their tote bag because mm-hmm. when all of a sudden you realize i've got to negotiate something here 
you can whip out the book and discover there are several sections in there about negotiating, negotiating a starting salary, negotiating certain other things at work. And I love the idea you'd have easy access. Yes, I love that as well. And some very good insight that maybe one wouldn't know. You know, it's almost like they have you as a mentor in their pocket. (laughs) So I love that. You know, what is interesting is that we all have had wonderful women mentor us in our work, no matter what your age. I, mm-hmm. I'm sure everyone's had a great female mentor, if not several. But often I've found that even the best mentors sometimes don't always spell out strategies. It's something they know on a primitive level. Right. And I would find myself in situations wondering, how do I negotiate this starting salary? What mm. amount is too much to ask for and what amount is too little? What, mm. what amount is going to make them possibly, God forbid, take away the offer? Never right. happens. <laughs> <laughs> but we're afraid it is going to. So I just thought, I want to spell out some strategies that sometimes even the best bosses couldn't articulate to me. Yes. Now, there were many other business professionals quoted in the book, like Sarah Fryer, CFO of Square, as well as Carly Zakin and Danielle Weisberg, founders of The Skim. Did you find yourself having to go out and do research to really bring this book and its subject matter to life? I did. I stay on top of things since I've left the magazine business. In fact, Mm -hmm. One of the the best things I did when they said, what do you want as you're going away uh, present? (laughs) Of course, they're not giving these kinds of presents out these days with the the turmoil in the business. But I took a a very expensive class at Harvard, a program at Harvard Business School, Executive Education on Women and Leadership. And I just said to my boss, hey, this is what I'd love. And it was terrific. And from that moment on, from the moment I left, I've tried to keep my hand in research and and reading what's going on in that world because I'm not in it anymore. I'm not a boss. I'm not doing evaluations for people. I'm not seeing what's going on. Mm-hmm. And that was important to me. I mean, I'm a boss in the sense I, I have an, a web editor and a social media editor working for me, but it, not to the degree. So I... I I've, I've felt I needed to touch base with mm-hmm. not only some of the research that was happening, but real women, women who are uh, Gen Y and Gen X who are out there facing some of the same old stuff that I face, but new stuff too. So I noticed that you went back and forth between addressing corporate climbers and um, entrepreneurial women. Was this a conscious decision because of the current career climate? And did you do that in the first book as well? I did in the first book too, maybe not as much as this, because I think the desire to be an entrepreneur, as you well know, has increased as, as times have gone by. Because I think what we've learned, unfortunately, is that the man, if we (laughs) (laughs) want to designate Uh that way, is not going to be loyal to us. Right. I was lucky. I worked for the Hearst Corporation for almost 20 years, which was a fantastic place mm-hmm. to work, both as the editor of Red Book, which is folded today, and the editor of Speaking of Demise in Magazines, mm-hmm. Cosmopolitan. I had great bosses. I had just, it was just a wonderful company. You rarely ran into a psycho in this, in the company. <laughs> and so I was lucky, but most of us come to understand there isn't loyalty. There isn't 
a sense of, hey, we can't do that to her. She's worked here for 15 years. Right. You're making a certain salary and there is any kind of hint of downsizing. You have to realize that they're going to, if they can bring in someone younger than you to do that job. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I think there is a real interest today in what's it like to be an entrepreneur and have freedom and not have to report to the man. And I have to say, I love it. The flip side of that is there are a lot of wonderful companies out there that give you incredible experience. Mm -hmm. They give pensions, you get vested. And if you can stay with that program and build your expertise, build your nest egg, because we ultimately, most of us are going to live long lives and we're going to have a chance to do something entrepreneurial down the road. If you leave at 28 and or 34 and your plan doesn't materialize into something, you could find yourself with no place great to go at that point. So you really have to weigh it carefully and I would say if you've got a good corporate gig, don't walk away with it without a lot of thought. You know, I, I, I recognize that you said, you know, hey, I've always fantasized about working for myself, but I'm glad that I didn't do it until much later because of the value, obviously, that your career brought to anything that you wanted to do after that. And it's so funny, I was having a conversation with um, someone yesterday and I was telling her that exact same thing. I was saying, you know, when you, when you have these entrepreneurial aspirations, that's great. But she's working at a large company right now, a large makeup brand. And I said, you need to utilize this experience and this time for what it can do for you, because there will come a time where, you know, you, you won't have sort of like this fresh young energy behind your situation and you need to take advantage of that while you can and maybe leverage this and use this toward whatever you think you want to do after you know because it's nothing like having leverage when you want to do something different yes that's so smart ayana in fact uh, i know you like the word pivot and uh, you were talking about me a few minutes ago, leaving magazines and mm-hmm. and why did I do it? And partly, I really I, I, I saw the end coming, and right. I didn't want to be around there. It's like being at a party when there are wet potato chips on the table, <laughs> red beer cups are all tossed all over, and I didn't want to be there at that point. And I was right. lucky enough I could leave. Some of my staff went into just strictly digital ventures, and 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 that was great for them too. Mm-hmm. And they've done extraordinarily well. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I weighed it. And I had also begun writing mysteries and thrillers before mm-hmm. I left and developing a public speaking business. Uh, 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 during my time, they called them uh, uh, not side hustles, but plan B. But yeah. nonetheless, <laughs> I developed both of them. So when I was ready to walk away, because I thought I, I've saved my money my my wonderful field that I've been in is collapsing and I don't want to be here at mm-hmm. 3 a.m. with those wet potato chips. <laughs> I had these two other things that I could then make my entrepreneurial life. So that's that's worked out really well for me. Mm-hmm. So or you can, even now, even if you feel you don't want to pull the trigger and do the not entrepreneurial thing, be thinking about it. Be open to things that light your fire that you find yourself going, hmm, I 
I envy her for that. In fact, envy is a great thing to not tamp down. I just gave a speech the other day where I talked about because envy is so ugly, we tend to want to tamp it down, but let it make you curious. When you find yourself envying somebody else, perhaps for her entrepreneurial move, let it make you curious. And it isn't always literal. We don't necessarily want to do exactly what the other person is doing, but there's some aspect of it we may feel ourselves drawn to. Mm-hmm. I love that. Wow. Yeah. That's very good insight. You, know, you mentioned in the book, um, in chapter four, uh, which is called A Gutsy Girl Gets That Appearance Matters, fair or not, mm-hmm. you, you mentioned speech and you touch on speech. Why is it important for you to address this topic? And can you talk about a few of the tips as to how a gutsy girl speaks? Absolutely. We all have heard, and I'm a big believer in this, that you dress for the job you aspire to. Yes. Also need to speak for the job you aspire to. Mm. Because so much of how people judge us has to do with how we communicate. Mm. And that's not only verbal, it's body language as well. So you need to be aware of how you are coming across, not just in your clothing and your hair, but in your makeup, but also in how your verbal skills are. And I don't want to throw a lot of blame on women for things, but studies show that we do make certain mistakes guys don't make when we communicate. We tend to use a lot of qualifiers like maybe we could, or I'm just spitballing here, or I'm not sure if this is a good idea, but... It's really important when you're in a meeting, when you're pitching an idea, to just rehearse with a good friend in advance and offer your ideas very clearly and succinctly and without qualifying. Don't apologize for them. Secondly, we tend to bury information, perhaps because we're fearful about presenting it. So we might start off by saying something like, "Uh, I just did a... Some I ran some numbers and I saw that in California, there's a trend where people do such and such. And maybe we ought to get into doing that with our such and such. Instead, put the, the homework at the back end and provide it even when they ask. And instead, come out with something like... I've done some research and there's an opportunity for us to bump our sales in California by at least 9% so that you've come out strong with two quick sentences and then you can go on to explain the research from there. So uh, those are just two things in terms of verbal. You have to watch your body language too. make sure you're sitting up straight, that you're not using those sort of self pacifiers where you're touching your jugular or fooling with your hair. I had a a great girl come in for an interview once at at Cosmo. She was just out of college. And she practically rearranged her entire hairstyle (laughs) while she was sitting across from me. He came in with it down and left with it kind of um, like a French twist. And it was all because she was so nervous. Right. (laughs) The person on the other end, it's it's distracting. Mm-hmm. One, one last thing, and this is true for men and women, is that a big 
flaw in how we communicate sometimes. And it's, it could be because we're nervous or because we're, we don't want to look too goofy or zany. We tamp it down. But enthusiasm is so critical. And there's one study that shows that one of the biggest complaints people interviewing job candidates had was a lack of enthusiasm. And a wonderful guy I used to work with who, who oversaw talent recruitment, a high-end talent in our company, said that the, the, the best people sat on the edge of their seats. Mm-hmm. And I think when you go in for a job interview, sit on the edge of your seat. Don't be afraid to show your enthusiasm. It's not going to make you look goofy. It's going to make you look passionate. Oh, yeah. Wow. That's that's a good one. I never thought about that sitting on the edge of your seat and how that reads. Yeah, I love that. Are you looking to expand your team? Well, look no further than Indeed. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering SPQ listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job posts, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash SPQ. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash SPQ. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th, 2020. Successful people are well known for reading a lot of books, right? Well, let me tell you about my secret weapon for learning new things and getting ahead. It's called Blinkist. I discovered Blinkist a couple years ago and thought it was the best idea ever. Kind of like that, why didn't I think of this type thing? It's so hard to find time to sit down and read and learn more. But Blinkist is a brilliant app that solves this problem. And I definitely recommend you try it out today. Blinkist takes the best key takeaways, the need to know information from thousands of nonfiction books and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. Blinkist is made for busy people like us who want to get the main points of a book quickly so we can start using that information right away. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our Switch Pivot or Quit audience. Go to Blinkist.com switch, try it free for seven days and save 25% off your new subscription. That's Blinkist spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. Blinkist.com slash switch to start your free seven-day trial. You also touch on the topic of persuasion in chapter four, where surprisingly you use cues from Taylor Swift. Why (laughs) Why is persuasion important in building a career you can be proud of? When you're the boss, and eventually all your listeners will become the boss. So right. (laughs) Bravo. Yes. But when you're the boss, you can tell people what you want them to do, and hopefully you 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 tell them in a way that is inclusive and you bring them on board so they like the sound of it or they will buck you in little ways. But when you are trying to work with peers or you're talking to a boss, you 
often have to bring somebody on board when you don't have the power to do it, but just by telling them you're going to do this because I said so. So the more you can use skills and not bully or try to bully or look aggressive in a way that's for either men or women, that that doesn't work. It rarely works. So what I loved is I cited a letter that Taylor once wrote, mm-hmm. I think it was on Tumblr, to complaining to Apple because what Apple was doing was that they weren't going to pay uh, people who performers and musicians for uh, when they when they stream the music. Mm-hmm. And she wrote a very powerful letter. And she did a lot of things right. She started off by showing respect for the other side. So she started it with, um, I think it was like to Apple, love Taylor. And Mm -hmm. she said, "Um, you're one of my best partners. So right away, she's sort of acknowledging. And that's what you want to do with a coworker. You say something like, Jane, I've loved working with you on these projects. You're you're a straight shooter. and, And I respect that so much then you don't make it all about what you want. You try to get inside the other person's shoes and figure out what are some common areas that you both want to, uh, some common areas that you are both interested in. So you may be far apart in some areas, but you both may want a couple of things that are the same. So you want to find those. She used a really powerful analogy. She said, we don't ask you for, free iPhones. <laughs> Don't ask us to provide you with our music for no compensation. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it can, if you've got a great analogy, it can help the person see your point of view. And then she spelled out what she was aiming for. And that's important too. Sometimes when we're talking to colleagues, we get lost in just the emotion perhaps or the general thing that we want like I need you to participate more in this team effort instead of saying Jane I I, I love working with you but I would appreciate it if you did this this and this as part of the team effort and I will do this this and that Wow. Yeah. And I, and I was so surprised by that, that Taylor letter, but you're right. The way that when you break it down, the way that she went about it, perfect. So how does the gutsy girl handle a micromanager? Ooh. <laughs> because, and I ask this because I have noticed that this is a problem for a lot of people. Many people, when they feel like they're at their wits end in a situation or with a job, uh, a lot of it is management and a lot of it is micromanagement. So I, I wanted to get sort of your insight on that. A couple of thoughts on that, because that's such a good question. Sometimes people get micromanaged because their manager doesn't feel they're doing everything they should be doing. Mm. And May not be spelling it out that way. And we're only seeing it as the annoyance of the manager up our grill. Uh-huh. But we, we need to step back and ask ourselves, am I triggering this by not providing him or her with all the information? Then you can kind of manage the situation yourself by saying something like, Bob, I can see how important this project is to you, and I know you're eager for updates. 
what's the best way for me to give you those updates? Would you like an email at the close of the day? Could we sit down once a week and meet in person? Mm-hmm. There's, there's nothing bad about suggesting something like that. I remember when my kids were applying for colleges, we were <laughs> went to see an event at the school where the seniors from the, uh, the, the existing seniors who had already gotten into college talked about how they handled that process effectively with their parents. And there was one kid who had the best idea. He said, he told his parents, cause they're nagging, nagging, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> this application. They created something called College Sunday. So <laughs> not to ask only on Sunday. But, but basically, it gave the parents a sense of, okay, we are going to be able to talk to them about this. Right. Wait till Sunday. We're not going to nitpick or micromanage. Mm-hmm. And you know that, yeah, I've got to let them know some stuff. So if you said to your boss, what if we met every Thursday at 3? Mm-hmm. And that still gives me an extra day during the week if you need more done but I can take you up to speed them. Right. Lastly, there's a really interesting phenomena in in psychology where when you are the pursuer, you force or pursued to back off. Mm. And if you flip roles, Mm -hmm. sometimes you very easily, you switch the other person's role. And I'm not kidding. Sometimes when I've had micromanagers, mm-hmm. I've gone overboard, <laughs> give them the info they need, and right. they back off. I had a situation very severe with somebody who had gotten a, a big fancy title at a company I work for. And though I didn't report to her, she wanted to kind of be in my world a bit. Mm-hmm. And she was driving me nuts. And I thought... <laughs> she's up my grill and I don't know what to do. And I, I didn't want to get into any kind of situation with her uh, in the company and look like I was in a, in a, a jello wrestling match with her. Right. What I did was I just started calling her with info mm. and before long. She just backed off. Wow. Remember what tactic. Put yourself in the other person's shoes. What are they afraid of? They're afraid that you're going to screw up. They're afraid that you're going to talk to someone in management and not tell them what's going on. And then they're going to look stupid. Mm-hmm. Figure out why they are acting that way and then take care of that. Oh, that is such valuable advice. I love that. So what practices or tactics do you use when it's time to make a big decision in your career? The best advice I can offer is simply trying to step back mm-hmm. and really think about what your needs are here and make sure you're not doing any kind of knee-jerk stuff, any knee-jerk reaction because mm-hmm. you're miffed at your boss, you're miffed at the company, mm-hmm. you, or you're seeing friends of yours do something and you want to have some sort of status thing too. Right. Really try to get to your own needs and ask what's going on for me here. What am I looking for? What am I ready for? And try to get to the core of that and let that be a guide. For me, when I was beginning to think about leaving my job and pivoting us really making a big switch. Mm -hmm. I thought a lot about 
how will I be working out of a home office every day? Mm-hmm. Or for a lot of us, it's WeWork or someplace like that, right. or at the kitchen table. How will I feel about that? And since I'd done a lot of it as a mystery writer on the weekends, I knew I could do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, how am I going to feel without famous people taking me out to lunch? <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, that had never been a particularly fun part for me. Uh, sometimes, <laughs> but not, not always, because... A lot of them are pretty self-absorbed. Yeah. I wasn't going to miss that. You know, go through some questions. Another great thing is to ask a friend of yours to say, hey, would you just pretend you are interviewing me on a talk show and you're trying to get to the bottom of some things? Because <laughs> a friend who's got good Q&A skills can really sometimes help you go, wait, yeah, why am I doing that? Right. Mm-hmm. Uncover some things and and do as much homework as possible. I knew roughly what I could make in a new role. I knew everything that was going to happen. I knew how much money I had in my nest egg. Mm-hmm. Information gathering is really important because you don't want to get out there and discover. Wow, I did not figure it all out. Now the the flip side of that is, in general, I would say one mistake we can sometimes make is waiting till we're perfectly ready. Yes. And I sometimes in my career would wait to get my ducks in a row, which was a hesitation that was based on fear, mm. not really a smart hesitation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I told a story the other day about when I was in my 30s, I was doing pretty well by some standards, but I felt like my peers were moving ahead faster than me. And I thought, you know, I'm going to write a book. And that's going to jumpstart things for me. And I, I just I just said, that's going to be great. And I'd heard about this hot new book agent. I thought she'd be a perfect person to hook up with. Mm-hmm. And, but I, I could have been called her right away in my job as an editor and said, a magazine editor, I was an articles editor and said, want to have lunch, but I didn't feel ready to pull the trigger. So I had this young editor work for me, take her out to lunch. And I figured, well, I'd eventually debrief this person, figure Mm -hmm. out about the agent. Then eventually I'd approach the agent myself. And once I got to know her, I would pitch my book idea to her. Well, a couple of days later, the editor comes into my office and announces she's resigning. And I said, oh my God, really? You're so talented. Why? And she goes, well, remember when you told me to take out that book agent? (laughs) we got talking about some things. I pitched an idea for a book and she sold it within a couple of days. Oh my gosh. That's the danger of trying to get all your ducks in a row. Sometimes you you just have to make the leap. But when it it involves you and money and being on your own, then that's an area where I think homework is important. Mm -hmm. So when you're thinking about it and you probably had some idea in mind when you were writing this book, who should read your book? Who's the ideal girl to read your book? Well, I think every girl should read my book. (laughs) I agree. (laughs) It's, it's definitely a great resource. I think for anyone in their twenties or early thirties who is unfamiliar with certain strategies Mm -hmm. and may not know exactly how to figure out what the zone of possible agreement is when you're negotiating a starting salary and everyone Mm -hmm. must negotiate their starting salary. Right. So if you're not doing that, you're, you could be walking away from money and you may tell yourself, 
Well, why rock the boat for a few thousand dollars? If you negotiate a starting salary from 50000 to 55000 over the course of your career, factoring in decent raises, that would amount to almost $700,000. So you, you need to do this. So at this, at, at an age uh, in your 20s and 30s, you may not have had access to this information. So it's there. But it's also, I feel, a great tool for women who are in their 30s, 40s, and 50s who might need a reminder. There's mm-hmm. some stuff in there how important it is to go big in your career, go big yes. with your vision. I heard something the other day I thought was really interesting. A career a coach I know said that there are kind of three phases in our our career. And at first you can do well in your 20s just by having a great attitude. Mm-hmm. You show up at work, they love you for that. Mm-hmm. Next, it involves really being great at executing, following through, doing the job. But eventually you got to have vision. Mm-hmm. You've got to know how to come up with big ideas. And, and I give some really good strategies in the book for generating big breakthrough disruptive ideas that if you're not doing those by the time you're in your thir- early 30s, you are not going to make it up uh, up the ladder. Yeah, yeah. At this point, you've written um, many books and published many books at this point. Um, what's your favorite thing about writing? Well, as they say, my favorite thing is having written. <laughs> I think <laughs> said that because, boy, when it comes out, it's such a delicious experience mm-hmm. to have readers write to you and say that you kept them up at night and you scared their pants off, which is <laughs> what you want to do as a mystery yes. writer. Yes, <laughs> but uh, I actually really enjoy the process of sitting very quietly. I've just found out with my Alexa. Mm-hmm. The station called Amazon Meditation Station, and Ooh. that music is just very soothing. I'll light a candle, and it's a it's a really kind of Zen like experience in some ways, and I enjoy that. It's particularly exciting when it isn't frustrating because it can be frustrating, but it's exciting when you come up with a twist and you think, "Wow, I am going to make the character discover herself in this set of circumstances," mm-hmm. and there's going to be something that happens. And I didn't have this thought yesterday. And I also know what the overall plot, but different smaller aspects of the plot reveal themselves. Mm-hmm. And exciting when that happens, you feel it's almost like this magic thing happening in your brain. So you ask yourself, where the hell did that come that from? That come from, yeah. <laughs> and that is exciting. I absolutely agree. I've, um, I've only pinned one novel at this point, but you're right. Sometimes when you come up with something good, you're like, ooh, they're not going to see this coming or they're going to love it. So yeah. Exactly. Yes. So what does success mean or look like for you? For me right now, and this isn't true for everyone, but for me, Mm -hmm. success smells like freedom. Mm. And that's what I wanted. And I paid my dues for it. And I gambled. I gambled on the fact that I wasn't going to die at 60. And that is something that we can't be sure of. But if you look at it statistically, most women do live long lives Mm -hmm. in in the United States. So I gambled. And what I got when I left my company was the opportunity to wake up every morning without a boss even though I had good bosses, particularly at the Hearst Corporation, I 
don't have a boss. I get to live in Uruguay three months a year with my husband in the winter, where summer there during our winter. Mm. I get to travel a ton and not just those three or four weeks a year mm-hmm. that I have when I was at Cosmo. I, I, I get to sort of say in the middle of the afternoon, I think I'm going to run over the Metropolitan Museum and mm. see the Delacroix exhibit. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I, I, did, I wasn't a slave to my job when I worked, but I was, I was pretty religious about it. Mm-hmm. And I, I, w- I would always leave for my kids' basketball games and volleyball games and things like that. But now it's just total freedom. And I love that. And to me, that's what success is. Thank you so much for taking the time to um, speak with us about your awesome book, Kate, and, and just sharing with us so much of your knowledge and wisdom and years of experience. I appreciate you. Oh, well, I so appreciate it. And though I've only seen your picture, you you got the whole appearance, power, <laughs> fabulousness. <laughs> Let me thank you for being the, this generation of women that's going to just have such an amazing impact on the world. And I'm, I'm so proud of what you do and the w- women of your generation. It's, it's very exciting for me to see. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much again for joining us. And as always, you guys be good. We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes and deep sip in and deep satisfaction out. (sighs) Ah. Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Access and Opportunity, a podcast from Morgan Stanley. Women and entrepreneurs of color traditionally have a hard time accessing capital to start or grow their businesses. Join Vice Chairman Carla Harris as she introduces us to the dynamic investors, entrepreneurs, policymakers, and others working to close the funding gap for these entrepreneurs. Listen and subscribe to Access and Opportunity on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.